The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Now, for this uh, series, Making Connections, we're looking about connections, so connecting people in. William's been talking to you about connecting to the website, a useful resource, so please make use of that. All sorts of things of connections. We've been looking at connecting to God. We titled that Our Vital Connection. We've been looking at connecting to discipleship. Last week, we were looking at connecting to others. This week, we're actually working out connecting to others. And actually, I mean by the turning, and this service, we're actually going to talk about connecting to service, connecting to how we serve in the church. And of course, there's a thread that runs through all of those, and that is that if we take account of that vital connection, in fact, without that vital connection, then the other types of connection don't really function. We can't flow in them. If you haven't got a connection with God, who is our life source, then we're not going to have the life, the energy, the strength to be able to really have fulfillment in our other forms of connection. So we need to have that vital life connection with God so that then we can work into all of those other areas. But today, I want to remind us, first of all, that there is a foundational principle for us as Christians, and it relates very firmly to this subject of connecting with service. So what is this principle? The principle is this. As Christians... Our lives, as Christians, our lives are not our own. We belong to God. As Christians, our lives are not our own. We belong to God. Now, Paul wrote about this in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. And he writes this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Jesus paid a great price to redeem us from the clutches of Satan himself, to take us out of darkness, take us out of the bondage of our sin and the things that we had done wrong. He's paid a great price to take us out of that by coming and dying on the cross. And because of him, we have been redeemed. We have been bought back. We have been purchased by the life of Jesus. And now our lives, they don't belong to us, but they belong to God who sent his son to redeem us. Do we understand that? Do we understand that? Our lives have been purchased by God. And therefore, Our lives belong to him. Now, you see, the understanding of that and the realism of that starts to change the way we have an outlook on life and the way that we do life. So as Paul's saying, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. You know how you read in Scripture, or you may not have done, but I can tell you, that in the early days there was a tabernacle, the tent that moved around with Moses. 
And what was that place? It was called the tent of meeting because it was the place where God came. So we read about the tabernacle with Moses. Later on, we read about the temple that Solomon built. And there God came with his glory. There God dwelt. And we see that God lived in those places. Well, just as it was true of those that tent, that building, that temple, just as that was true and all of the utensils that were used in those buildings for the worship of God, they were all holy, so we also are holy. We have been made holy. Our lives are the temple, the place where God dwells. He lives in us. That's why Paul says you are not your own, because he says we've got no rights, as it were, over our bodies because we have been bought by God, because he has made us for himself, and we are bound to him. We're accountable to him for the way that we live our lives. Now, obviously, I know in talking about this, it's challenging. It is challenging, because which of us wants to give up our lives? Well, the religious answer is, yeah, we want to give up our lives. The truthful answer is that we find it difficult. That's the truth. Because we're wrestling with things. Well, actually, what about my family? You know, like they're not so keen upon this whole religious thing. So maybe and our family causes us pressures. Or, or maybe no, I'm interested in work. I'm interested in pursuing a career like this. I'm interested in doing this. I want to do that. And there's so many other things that crowd in and that capture our hearts and our minds that actually, oh, I have, I'll give God a little bit of time, but I haven't got time just to do what he wants. Because that's what we wrestle with. But you see, that's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures tell us, hang on a second. Your life is a temple of the Holy Spirit. He's come to make you holy. He's come to dwell within you. In actual fact, you have been purchased. Your life has been taken out of darkness. Can we think back to those times before we knew Jesus? And some of the things we were walking in. Some of the things now we'd say, I'm very ashamed of that. Listen, he's rescued from that. He's taken you out of that. And he's brought you into his kingdom. And because of what he has done, we now are living our lives for him. Well, I don't know whether I want to live my life for him. That's an attitude that can come to us. It's an attitude that I know. I can see in my own life from time to time. So it's not like, you know, oh, hey, listen, I've got this together. No, no, no. I'm working on this. I understand what it's like. I know that it's hard at times. So when Jesus says, and he gives us his commands, and he says, like, go and make disciples... That's a good idea, Jesus. Why doesn't somebody else do it? Great idea. But you see, that's what we wrestle with. But you have said. But suddenly, when those things are coming up, and we think it's such a good idea that others do it, really what we're saying is, right now, I want to take control of my life, and I want to do what I want to do. I want to take my life where I want it to go. I want to do what the things that I think are important. And the I keeps coming up. But that needs to be surrendered because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what we believe. And we want to see that life coming into us. That's what I experienced yesterday. If you like, a death to self. Self was saying like, this looks dangerous. This looks scary. Who are you going to meet? How are you going to approach them? It feels weird to say your name in front of somebody that you don't know. That's, what my, that's coming up in my mind. So my life says, no, 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 I'm safer to do something different. But Jesus says, I want you to go. And if we come back and we think, listen, wow, my life doesn't belong to me. So what he says is what I need to do. And as soon as that comes up and you feel that clashing of those two worlds, 
There's a reality there because you know that what I'm talking about doesn't just come easy. But it is worth it because he paid a price for us. We need to think so often about the goodness of God and what he has done. And I know that in life there are many things that are really challenging for us. But it never stops God being good. And he even turns around difficult circumstances for our good because he loves us. Paul underlines this message more and more in his writings. In 2 Corinthians, so he's already written it to the Corinthians once, now he writes to them again. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15, he says this. He says, for Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. In other words, he has been thinking about what Jesus has done for him, and he's beginning to realize, my, if he's done that for me, then I am compelled to live my life for him. So he's got to a place where he's seen, this is the goodness of God. This is what God is like. This is what he's done for me. This is the way that he's protected me. And if he's done that much for me, then that love compels me. So he says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So if we're really to grasp this truth, then we all need to say quite freely to ourselves, we're no longer living for ourselves. We're living for Jesus. And that is a challenge. But it's a challenge that each of the apostles were raising in their scriptures. In John, John wrote about it in 1 John, in the letters that he wrote. He says, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth isn't in him. Now, John, I like John because he's a very black and white man. He doesn't have any ground for misunderstanding. He's saying, if you say, oh, yes, I've come to know Jesus, then what he says, if you say you come to know Jesus, then you jolly well need to do what he asks you to do. Otherwise, what you're saying is a sham. You think, wow, do I want to live a sham or do I want to live the truth? But you see, living by the truth costs something. It does cost something. And that's us to surrender ourselves. I think like this, it's, it's disagreeable. It's just disagreeable to me at times. I don't want to do that. I don't want to feel embarrassed. I don't want to feel ashamed. I don't want to feel like that. I just want to live life. I want to do what I want to do. But when I look at it, I see more and more, actually all I'm doing is operating out of my selfishness. My self-protection, my self-interest. Those are the things that seem to come into my life. And that selfishness in itself is a problem. And it needs to be dealt with. Because it becomes a hindrance. It becomes a hindrance in me doing the things that God wants me to do. There's a golden rule which we looked at the other week. Do to others what you would have them do to you. And in this case, we need to be doing the things that God has asked us to do. That's what we should be doing. Following Jesus means that we need to leave selfishness at his door. Now, incidentally, when you see these things in your life, or when I see these things in my life, the way I deal with them isn't always like, oh, I'm selfish. I know exactly how to stop this. Because to be truthful, I don't. Often I'm dealing with a desire in my heart that doesn't want to go away. I want to carry on doing this. I don't want to do what Jesus wants. I'm dealing with something. So, but what I do is I come to Jesus and I say, I have seen this in my life. I need your help. 
In other words, I acknowledge it. Because the Bible says if we confess our sin. It doesn't actually say you need to get to the point where you've deeply repented. We believe in repentance, which is a change of mind. But we have to start somewhere. And the starting place is that we come and we say to him, I confess, I admit that this is going on in my life. I don't know how to change it. But you're the one with the power. You're the one who has the ability. You're the one that can change my life. So I'm letting you know what's going on. Now help me to change. And he will. Because he has a desire to conform us to the purposes of his son. He has a desire to help us to walk in his ways. So he will do that. So we need to lay down our selfishness. And certainly one of the things that can help us to do that is to gaze upon his majesty, who he is, and what he has done for us. Romans 8 verse 32 says this, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? In other words, if God hasn't held back Jesus, but he gave him up, his most precious son, then surely he is also going to help us with everything else. And that's a confidence we need to have. Don't forget, we often deal with our wants. I want this. I want this. I want this. God is not interested about our wants. He comes about our needs. You need to have clothing. You need to have somewhere to live. You need to have food. Our needs, he takes care of. He doesn't always take care of our wants. We might say, well, I'm not selfish. I'm ready to do his will. Well, praise God for that. But can I just say this? A tree is known by its fruit. That's the thing. A tree is known by the fruit. You know, oh, that's an apple tree because it has apples. And if we're saying we're not selfish, we've got none of these problems, well, praise the Lord, but eventually our lives will show the fruit of that one way or the other. Either that fruit will be coming out or it won't be. And we obviously want that fruit to come out. You know, sometimes... It's all to do with our hearts. Jesus, at one point, he went to the home of a Pharisee. So he was invited out to dinner to a Pharisee. And you know the Pharisees were religious people. We sort of got that bad guy feeling about them because like, we know that Jesus is good, Pharisees bad. That's sort of what we've learned. But you've got to understand, in that day and age, these were people who were looked at in society as being godly people. And they did godly things. They did lots of right things. They behaved rightly. They behaved in a holy fashion. They went through certain rituals, but they were admired by the people. But Jesus came and complained about them because he says, look, you're doing lots of rituals, but where are your hearts? That's the sort of thing that he did. Anyway, he gets invited to one of these Pharisees to have an evening meal, and he goes into the evening meal, and uh, he's, uh, well, obviously not sitting at the table because they didn't then, but you know what I mean. He's having dinner. And then this sinful woman comes in. And she comes in, and she comes in with a jar of ointment, and she breaks the ointment, and she starts to weep. And she starts to put the ointment on Jesus' feet, and she starts to wipe the ointment off with her hair, and she's weeping and crying. And it's like, it's a smelly mess, but a nice smelling mess in that room. But the Pharisee is like... And he's thinking, if this guy's a prophet... Surely he knows what type of woman this is. Now, it just says she's a sinful woman. So what does that look like? 
I think if a woman who was a sinful woman and we knew that that was a sinful woman came in here, we'd just say, she's a sinful woman. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter. There's something about her that everybody knows. We know what type of person you are. You're not holy. You're not righteous. You're not living correctly. You're one of them. You're sinful. So she was that. And everybody else in the room knew it. And so the Pharisee was thinking, Jesus is a prophet. What's he up to? He's supposed to know. And it seems that he knows nothing. But then Jesus stops and he talks about the elephant in the room, as it were. He says, like, hang on a second, everybody. You can see what's going on here. A bit strange, a bit different. He actually honors the woman. But then he says to the Pharisee, Simon, his name is Simon. He says to him, Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't cleanse my feet. You've not given me any perfume. You've not wept over me. You've not done any of these things. But this woman has. And I tell you, Though her sins may be many, they have been forgiven. But then he goes on to say, but you see, the reason she's done this is because she who has been forgiven much loves much. And then I think about that story and I think, like, so how much do I love him? I've been forgiven everything. But I haven't really understood how much I've been forgiven. I haven't really understood how far I have come. I've just thought, well, I'm good anyway. I'm just a good person. And so my declaration over my life of my goodness suddenly becomes enough. I haven't understood that I was destined for hell because I was against God and against his purposes. I didn't understand how far away from him I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And the only way that I could be rescued was that Jesus came to set me free. And he came and he placed my feet now upon a rock, a solid rock, a foundation of him so that I can now start to live life for him. You see, I've lost sight of how far I have come from. But with that woman, it was obvious. She's a sinful woman, yes, but your sins have been forgiven. And look how much it's changed your heart. She who has knew much sin had now been forgiven and that forgiveness was being displayed in the amount of love that she was showing. Oh, that our hearts would understand how much we have been forgiven so that we may come to him and that we may give our lives to him. Okay, I could carry on talking about this for a while, but we need to carry on very much so. Let me talk about a second point. That whole first point was about the fact that our lives do not belong to us. It's a principle. It's a key thing for our lives as Christians. Our lives do not belong to us. They belong to Jesus who has purchased us, who has taken us out of darkness, who has cleansed us. Now let me look at something completely different. Input without output does not lead to good health. Input without output does not lead to good health. What on earth am I talking about? Let me talk about the Dead Sea. Now let's have a picture up. I don't know whether you've been to Israel and you've been to what is called the Dead Sea, but you would see a scene like that, which actually looks very beautiful. Rocks, salt, sea, blue sea, very nice. The Dead Sea is very interesting. The Dead Sea has an input, which is the River Jordan. The Dead Sea does not have any output. There's no river out. Now, when you think about it, every other lake or sea has an input, And it has an output. The water's going somewhere. It's going down to the sea. 
But with this, and I know it's a bit confusing when it's called the Dead Sea, but it's actually going nowhere. It's not going anywhere. So it has this out input from the River Jordan. And if you look at this map, right at the top, and I know it's a bit difficult to see, but at the top there's another little blue lake. Well, that's the Sea of Galilee. Jordan flows into the Sea of Galilee, and it flows out of the Sea of Galilee, and eventually it comes down into what is called the Dead Sea. It's called the Dead Sea because hardly any marine life is alive there. It's dead. There's nothing there. In fact, the only way that the water can go is to evaporate. And so as it evaporates, it's leaving out all its salts and minerals. And that's why you have this, all these salts and uh, sludge, if you like, that's around as it's drying out. Now, in actual fact, the Dead Sea is something like 9.6 times more salty than the sea that we swim in around the coast. So it's really, really salty but it's dead. It doesn't have life. You go up to the Sea of Galilee, and there you've got the fishermen out. They're catching fish. There's lots of life. There's plenty of life around there, but not in this particular sea. That's because it has an input, but no output. And you know, for our Christian lives, this gives us a, a, a real insight. We are supposed to have input. In other words, Times like this, we're receiving from the Word of God, we're worshipping together, we have the Holy Spirit come to us. But we need an output so that there's life that is flowing through us. Otherwise, what's happening is the life comes into us, and like the Dead Sea, it just starts to evaporate. It's got no other method of going away. It just evaporates away. So we've got life coming into us that is evaporating out of us. And we're just getting crusty, and salty and good for nothing. That's a technical sort of term. But what we want is, we want to have life coming into us and life flowing out of us. And that's why you can see, okay, I'm talking about being connected to serve, but the reason we're connected to serve is so that the life that comes in can flow out. And you know what? Sometimes it just seems like I'm doing something. I'm just doing a job. But actually, we are involved in discipleship. Do you remember when we talked about connecting to discipleship? We looked at the fact of what is a disciple. A disciple is somebody who is walking in the ways of Jesus. And discipleship is that activity of helping somebody walk in the ways of Jesus. So if you are discipling, if you are helping to disciple somebody, you are helping them to walk in the ways of Jesus. And we all want to walk in his way. And we all need help in that. So it's not just that I become the kingpin, I can disciple everybody. No, we need people to help us because I still need to grow in my walk with Jesus. You still need to grow in your walk with Jesus. But somebody who's just become to know Jesus, they need more help maybe. They need a starting point of help. And so we want to get alongside them. And so discipleship is actually the activity that we've been called to do because Jesus said, go and make disciples. So that's the output that he's looking from every life. We've got input from him. He saved us. He's renewed us. He's come upon us. But now he says, don't let that evaporate. Because otherwise you'll come, become like the Dead Sea. I see in my life a lot of evaporation. But when I start to go on the streets, as I did yesterday, and as I will do this week, even though I don't particularly think I want to, but I know the end result is going to be good. There's going to be more output. And when there's more output, there becomes more flow. And also it means like, God, I need your help. And he's been saying, I've been waiting for a long time for you to say that. Because I am ever present to help you. 
I have promised never to leave you, never to forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. So I've been waiting for you just to say that so that I can come in. You know what it says in scriptures? Without him, we can do nothing. Did you hear that? Without him, we can do nothing. So if we want to do something, then we've got to do it with him. If we want to be productive, we need him to come to us. And his life is coming into us. What we need to do now is to release that life. And to release that life in a form of discipleship, in a form of going out. Now, I realize that not everybody loves to go out on the streets. I know that. And that is one way our output can come. But if we're talking about make disciples, then we make disciples by helping other people grow in their walk with Jesus. Well, who are these people? Well, you know what? If you got involved in BTC Kids, then you're helping young children grow in their walk with Jesus. If you're working with the youth, you're helping our youth grow in their walk with Jesus. If you're helping throughout the main church, you're helping people grow in their walk with Jesus. That is discipleship, that is serving, that is output, that is exactly what we've been called to do. However, if we don't get any form of connection, then what happens is the life comes in, as I've said, and it has to evaporate. It's got to go somewhere, it's just evaporating away. It's going off in the air, and we don't want that, we want to be effective in our use for Jesus. Now, I know somebody can say, well, look, I understand serving, I, I serve at the coffee bar, But you can't call that discipleship. But you see, you can. Because every part of what we do in the life of the church is helping people in their walk with Jesus. It's helping them feel like they belong. It's helping them feel like they're welcomed. It's helping them create an atmosphere around them that they might be more conducive to listen to the messages, to hear the messages, to grow in the messages, to grow in the life of God. Everything that we do in the house, whether it's leading worship, whether it's actually playing an instrument, whether it's serving, whether it's cleaning, all of these things work together for the goodness and the life of the church, and therefore we are helping. We have an output. Let me ask you, does your life have an output? Does your life have an output? Because we have been called to give out. Jesus said to his disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons... Freely you have received, freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received. What are we doing? Just taking, 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 taking? Or are we taking, giving? Taking, giving. It's interesting, isn't it? If you think of that, you take and then give, it means there's space to take more. But when you're just taking, 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 it gets to a point where you just get fat. You can't do anything. They just sit there and do nothing. You're just evaporating away. Or not that even filling up. We want to take and give. Take and give. Because that way the life is being drawn in us and is flowing through us. And therefore we have the ability to give life to others. We need to have an output if we are going to remain healthy. And there's many ways in which we can serve in this church. Let me just come through these last few things very quickly. Challenges to serving. There are challenges to serving. So why don't we talk about them? Good idea, Jonathan. I will. Working for other people is one of the challenges of serving. 
You see, working for me, I know how I operate. I know what I like. I know the way I want things done. So if I'm working for myself, everything is calm. When I'm working under somebody else, I'm working the way that they would like it done or the way that they perceive is the best way, and they are looking for me to serve them. Oh, sometimes that's challenging. I was talking to somebody about unity across the church yesterday or the other day anyway. And I had a brilliant answer that came back, which I was really quite chuffed with, which I will use again even now. So I was talking to them, and I said, like, well, you know, some churches, they just want to remain in that place of, we know what we're doing, we know how we want it done, and so therefore we'll look after ourselves, just like an individual. You know what? You're not going to have any arguments. But when you get into relationship, you have to have some compromise. Obviously, many people here have got marriages or relationships not everybody I know but those that do know exactly what I'm talking about those if you just got boyfriends if you just got friends you know that there is compromise that needs to be made we want to go here oh we want to go there we want to see this film I want to see that film there has to be compromise relationships unity takes the form of relationship it takes some compromise takes some working out And that's what is necessary. There's a challenge in working for other people. You have to compromise. Well, okay. It doesn't mean to say you can't come up with good ideas. But it does mean to say that you don't start saying, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. This is the way it should be done. No, 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 no. Hang on. Who are you? We have to learn to come and serve other people. So there is a learning process. Uh, This is scripture. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Paul said to the Colossians, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ and this principle isn't just for the church this principle is for your office this principle is for the place of work this principle is for the whole of your life this principle works learn how to humble yourself and serve other people and help them. People know when you're doing that, and they know when you're not. You've only got to talk to a few people in your office, and you'll understand what I mean. Um, working for other people can be a challenge. Being trained can be a challenge. Especially if you're the sort of person, quite like me, doesn't always want to read the instruction manual or anything like that. Yeah, okay, I know what I'm doing, thanks. Sometimes, Helen's not here this morning, so I can say this. Although if she listens to the message, I should get in a lot of trouble. Sometimes, sometimes she suggests things, and I don't always want to listen to her. Sometimes I think, well, I know how to do that. I'll do it my way. But you see, if she is asking me to do something, she wants it done her way. And we need to learn to do that. And sometimes it just says, okay, let me just humble myself. I'll just do it like that for peace. But it's not just for peace. It's because you're doing what somebody has asked you to do. And sometimes we have to accept we need training. Training is good because it gives us skills. It gives us an increase. It gives us an understanding. But we need to be humble enough to be able to accept that we need to be trained. Uh, some people, and this is a challenge with serving, some people might just say, I don't know if I have anything to give. I look at all these other people. Other people all seem to be able. They seem to be gifted. I mean, I can't play the keyboards like that. I can't play the guitar. I can't even switch on the urn. You probably can, but people do themselves down. Everybody, everybody in this room 
was created by God and for God. Everybody. Now, although I may not understand where everybody fits together, he has called everybody together as the body in the church, where each one can find their place, because everybody has a place. Some, yes, they're like ears, noses, they, they have outward signs, you can see them and they have important functions. Others are hidden. Parts of our bodies that are quite important are hidden because they need to be hidden. But it doesn't mean to say they don't have a role to play in the overall function of your life. And it's the same in the church. We were all given gifts and we all have abilities. And we need to try to work at things and to discover what those gifts and abilities are. Now, I know that raises another question of like, well, okay, I'll serve, but where do I serve? The answer is, in effect, you can start anywhere where there's a need and just see how you get on and learn in that situation. And as you serve and as you surrender yourself to say, God, I'm just here to do this for you, then you will see what God will do and he will help you and he will change you and he will challenge you in the midst of that. So that's talking about challenges to serving. Let me just give you some benefits of serving. Benefits of serving can be quickly gone through like this. I have an output to my life. I'm not just receiving. It's not just flowing in. There is an output that's been established that I'm beginning to work on. I have an output. I am using the gifts that God has given to me. They may be just one or two of the small gifts, but you're starting to use the gifts that God has given to you as a person. You can say, I am learning new skills. I'm developing in my life. I am helping others be discipled because as you are serving, you are helping others in their walk with Jesus. So that's a good thing. I'm living obediently. I'm doing what I've been asked to do. To live obediently gives us peace in our lives. I'm living with purpose. I'm now living for the purpose that God has called me to. Freely I have received, now I am able to give freely. You can even say this really is my church because I am investing my life in serving others here. There's a sense of belonging that can come from that. You can then say I am not just a church attender, but I am a functioning part of the body of Christ in this place. So I know you're all at this moment in time thinking and saying, I want to serve. How? How can I serve? Where can I serve? Well, we need to start somewhere, I know. Willingness is the first thing. Willingness is shown by being willing. We can see that you're willing by saying, I am willing, and showing that in your life. Flexibility is an important aid as it gives us the ability to be taught and teachability is very necessary when we're working for other people. Inflexibility can lead to difficulty. Humility leads to greatness, but pride comes before a fall. And that's what scripture says. Proverbs 16:18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, what areas can you serve in in Bromley Town Church? There's lots of areas that we have need for service. We have need in our BTC kids and youth. We have need of teachers, those who are able to bring teaching to our young people. We have need of all sorts of help with small groups in amongst our children. We have need amongst our youth academy. We have need amongst our youth, uh, and generally speaking. We have needs for all sorts that meets here on a, on a Thursday morning, just of being part of the team, of clearing up, of setting up, of, of helping, of talking. We have need even just for a short period of time at Christmas, when they have their Christmas party, somebody needs to help get
get some food and drinks ready for the children whilst they're always running the uh, event itself. There's need on Sunday mornings for uh, this, a coffee bar for helping as far as that's concerned. There's needs in our life groups for growing up to be a life group leader and helping other people. There's need in our prayer meetings of attending prayer meetings. There's need there. There's need in our office for doing some administration and helping out and volunteering. There's need for outreach team. There's need at Curry Union. There's need at the homeless shelter, which is going to be starting up over the winter, of helping cook meals and sleeping over with some of the guests and helping them. There's need with our worship. We could do with a drummer. We can do with more worship leaders. We can do with more people who can play instruments. Yes, I know we need people who can play instruments. Instruments, not just like myself. Oh, I'd like to be a drummer, but actually you can't even drum in rhythm. We know that there are some things, but there's plenty of ways of us to serve. And so this morning we're looking at connecting with service. Guys, you can come up. Connecting with service, and that is exactly what I want to do. We don't want to be a group of people who are not surrendered to God and giving our lives to Him. We want to be a group of people who are surrendered and are saying, hey, listen. For all of my life here, I'm laying down my greatness for his greatness. Because in the end, we want him to be great and we want to become less. Do you remember what John the Baptist said? At the end of his ministry, he'd been baptizing lots of people, very famous in the nation, looked at by many people. But now as people are saying, hey, but Jesus is going to have more followers. And he just, he just says, listen, I'm here just to do the work of God. This is my words, not exactly his. I must become less that he must become greater. And that's what we want to hold on to. It's not about me. The world is going to lead a testimony to me. Do you want a a testimony about your life only in this earth? Or do you want a testimony of your life in heaven which lasts forever? Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning. Or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.